Right, turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Now, before I give you the verse, we'll be reading the verse a bit later. But to start off my sermon, I have a question to ask. Don't answer this out loud. I don't want you to answer this out loud. But what do you hate? What do you hate? Now, before you answer that question in your head, like they said in elementary and in high school, hate is a very strong word. And they are absolutely right. Hate is a strong word. It expresses an intensely negative attitude towards something. You know, hate is a word that we often throw around, especially as children, but most oftentimes you don't mean it. For example, as a teenager, I always said I hated vegetables. I don't hate vegetables. I, don't, I just dislike them. They're a necessary evil, but I don't hate them per se. I didn't really mean that. So with that being said, what do you hate? What is something that you absolutely cannot stand and even the very thought of it causes you to lose your cool and explode in anger? Now, hopefully nothing shows up in your mind, but I can go out into the streets right now with a mic and ask a bunch of strangers what they hate. And I'm sure these following 10 things would make the list. Some people say they hate their family. It's unfortunate, but that is the truth. You know, many families are broken. Many are abusive to their children, and many are rebellious to their parents, and unfortunately, there are many broken families that hate each other. Some might say they hate the government. Whatever, whoever gets elected, there will always be people who hate the government. Some people say they would hate their jobs. Pastor White was talking about a trucker uh, last Wednesday or a couple Wednesdays back, and he looked miserable in his job as a trucker. And most people get into a job just because it makes them money, but deep down, they're miserable, and they hate it. Some people hate their body. Other people hate a person who has done something wrong to them. Maybe as a child, they were bullied. Maybe as an adult, they were made fun of. Some people hate a wrong decision that they, they, they made when they were younger. Now it has this, it caused a big regret in their life now. <laughs> There's a lot here who will say that they hate religion. Some just hate Christianity specifically. But a lot of people, they would say, the world would be better off without any religion. There are those who hate criminals. There are those who hate other genders. And there are those who hate school. And today, the world is just full of hate for many different things. Most oftentimes, they don't have any love. They, all, they only have hate. Now, going back to the question I asked you, what do you hate? Many of the things I mentioned above, what people would answer, what strangers would answer, those are things that we shouldn't hate. Our family, we're told to love our family, to honor our parents. We are not to hate even criminals. We're told to love others. So most of these things I mentioned are, some, are things that we should not hate. So what are we to hate then? As Christians, the only thing we are to hate is sin. Now go back to your Bibles in Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. And we'll be reading verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. 
before we get into the rest of the sermon, let's just open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me. I pray, Lord, that you indwell me with your uh, spirit, and I pray that you enable me to just preach your word and not mine. I pray, Lord, for all those listening, I pray that you speak to their hearts and speak to my heart as well. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Now, if we want to do well in our Christian walk, we have to start seeing sin the way God sees sin. We can't keep viewing sin how we view it using human logic and human reasoning. We have to view it as how God sees it in Scripture. Now, the first point here is the prerequisite for hating sin. The prerequisite, which is to fear the Lord. A fear of the Lord. In Pastor White's series, this was the first pillar, is a fear of the Lord. Turn with me to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. In Psalm 33, verse 8, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Now, what many Christians lack today is having the fear of the Lord in their hearts. And it makes sense because as children, when we heard the word fear, we often think about those things that scare us half to death, the things that make us run away and uh, put a blanket over our heads. That's what we associate fear with. It's a very negative and unwanted feeling, fear. But biblical fear is different from the usage of fear that we are used to. To fear God does not mean that we have to hide under our blankets and hide under the pews and run away from him the moment we think of God. That is not what fear is. Fearing God is to revere and respect his sovereignty, his holiness, his character, and just fearing his being. Now, how do we fear the Lord? Well, it's simple. By getting to know him. You know, you will never respect something that you don't know anything about. For example, if you asked me, and you asked me to describe why football or soccer or hockey, if you asked me to describe why those sports are so amazing, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I could never highly esteem any of those sports because I've never played them, I've never cared for them, I've never bothered to research them. I couldn't tell you why football was a great sport. I couldn't tell you why soccer is so world, is the number one sport in the world. Because to me, I don't know anything about it. I do not have limited, I have very limited experience with them. I only know the basics of those sports. I don't know any of the inner workings. And I never desire to learn those sports. I can't respect something that I don't know anything about. Similarly, when applied to a relationship with God, we will never have a true fear of God if we do not have a personal relationship with him. If we do not know who he is, we don't, we don't know his character, we don't know his attributes, we don't know how, he, how much he blesses us and encourages us, and if we do not have a desire to know him. If we don't have those three things, it will be impossible for us to have a fear of the Lord. But if you do have a personal relationship with God, if, we, if you wake up in the morning and you're excited to open your Bible and to go into your prayer classes and talk with him, then your fear of God will start to increase. Once you start understanding his holiness, his attributes, and his, his character, then your fear of God will start to increase. 
Once you have a true desire to actually know God, not just in head knowledge, everybody can have head knowledge, but once you have a true heart desire to know God, the fear of God will increase. If you do do those three things, Matthew Henry, the renowned commentator, said this regarding the fear of God. In order to the attaining of all useful knowledge, this is most necessary, that we fear God. We are not qualified to profit by the instructions that are given us unless our minds be possessed with the holy reverence of God. And every thought within us be brought into obedience to Him. As all our knowledge must take rise from the fear of God, so it must tend to it as its perfection and center. Those who know enough, who know how to fear God, who are careful in everything to please Him, and fearful of offending Him in anything. This is the Alpha and Omega of knowledge, is to fear the Lord. You will never learn how to hate sin if you don't first have a fear of the Lord. So that's the first point, is the prerequisite. The second is the act. And the act that we are trying to understand here is hating wickedness and hating sin. Proverbs 3.7, let's turn there. Proverbs 3.7. Proverbs 3.7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. I won't ask you to turn there, but in Proverbs 19.23 it says, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And he that hath hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. And so we see how the fear of the Lord relates to us being able to stay away from wickedness and uh, relates to hating wickedness and sin. It is evident from Scripture that we must fear the Lord before we can truly start departing from evil and abhorring sin and wickedness. We cannot... And I repeat, we cannot ever see sin how God sees sin if we do not have a fear of God. To see the true wickedness of even the smallest sins, you first need to know how holy God is and what he sees are an abomination. We often view most of the sins that we commit in everyday living as trivial inconsequential, and we think that we can just get away with it because it's very minor. At least I'm not killing a person. At least I'm not robbing a bank. At least I'm not blaspheming God's name. I'm just telling a little lie. That's fine to me. And we often see everything wrong that we do as trivial. And that is how, often, that is how bad habits start to form because we see one little sin as trivial and now it just keeps compounding. And later on, if we let it go, uh, we don't even bother to ask for forgiveness for those sins, we would have backslidden far away from God. The reason why we see sins as trivial is because our relationship with God is often trivial as well. We see our relationship with God as trivial and uh, unimportant. If I were to ask you, what is something that you find absolutely disgusting? For some people, they would say bugs. Theo, you don't like bugs? He doesn't like bugs. There you go. Some people, they would find bugs disgusting. The creepy crawler, spiders, centipedes, beetles. And some people just hate those things. I personally like them, but there are people who don't like those creepy crawlies. 
They find them disgusting. Others, they may think of a certain dish that makes them gag, that makes them hurl. Just the thought of eating that dish makes, them, makes their stomach hurt. You know, I think of some, like these rotten cheese things that I see in Northern Europe. It's just, I don't know what it is, but it's like there's maggots crawling. I'm not even going to talk about it, but I think it's disgusting because there's, yeah, there are certain dishes that makes people want to gag and hurl. Some people, if you have siblings, maybe you would say your sibling is disgusting. They don't clean the room. They, don't, they leave their dishes unwashed. And you find their habits disgusting. Now, a bit of a tonal change, but when people ask me what I find disgusting, honestly, the first thing that usually comes to my mind are people who commit, commit things like bestiality, rape, pedophilia, abortion. Those are the things that I find disgusting and utterly disgusting. Those are some very Wicked sins. Now, those sins and crimes that I mentioned, bestiality, pedophilia, rape, and abortion, those were truly despicable. And honestly, they're truly disgusting. But when it comes to God, because of his perfect holiness, not that we don't have perfect holiness, but because of his perfect holiness, he views all wickedness and sin as an abomination. An abomination is something that is absolutely disgusting. And as Pastor White put it a couple weeks back, he said, something that makes you want to hurl, something vile that you don't want to be in the same room with. Proverbs 15, 8 to 9, it says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Proverbs 12, says, Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Proverbs eleven twenty, They that are of a forward heart are abomination to the Lord, but such as are upright in their way are his delight. Proverbs 11, 1, A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Let's all turn there for this passage. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. And it says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked Im- imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. So to God, pride, lying, merely thinking evil thoughts, bearing false witness, and gossiping and sowing discord, are as abominable as murder, as the acts of murder. To us, there is, we, we tend to uphold, oh, okay, murder, that's a horrible sin. Never, never, I'll never even be caught murdering someone ever. But pride, lying, those are two things that we are often guilty of every single day. And to God, that is an abomination. The sins that we deem inconsequential and normal are abominable in the sight of God. Now, here lies 
the key for, to, how, to be victorious over sin. You will never be victorious over sin if you don't necessarily think it's even wrong to commit a sin like that. Some people, they're, they're able to lie to themselves to the extent that they truly believe that telling white lies is normal, that watching certain things on the internet in moderation is normal. They, they start to think all of these, they start to reason within themselves that their sins are normal. And they'll never have victory over those sins because they don't think they need victory over them. But if you have a sin in your life that has controlled you and is basically possessing you and controlling all of your thoughts, all of your actions, the only way to get victory is to fear God and then to start abhorring sin as the way God abhors sin. Satan is clever. He does not just use one avenue to tempt and attack you. He will come at you from every single angle that he could possibly attack you from. The pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the the eyes. He will use all those three types of temptations to get you, to get you to go away from God. He will do everything he can to tempt you to be unrighteous. And most of the time he succeeds. Because why? Most Christians don't have a fear of the Lord. And most Christians do not abhor sin the way God abhors sin. But if you fear God and your, your victory over temptation will be assured. Fearing God allows you to naturally hate and abhor things that you once deemed innocent and fine to commit. This fear of the Lord will purge us from the inclinations that we naturally have to pursue wickedness. We will see things in a new light once we start to fear the Lord. Not to fear the authorities in our life, because the moment those authorities are out of the room, the moment those authorities are out of sight, guess what? We'll be tempted. We'll just wait until they're gone, and then we'll continue in our wickedness. Fearing authority is not enough. We have to fear the Lord himself, the omniscient Lord. He can see us from anywhere. Even in a locked room, even when we are out in the streets, he can see what we are doing. So if you fear authority, that's not enough to overcome sin. You need to fear the Lord. Proverbs 3, 7, fear the Lord and depart from evil. So we looked at the prerequisite, which was to fear the Lord. We looked at the act, which is to hate and abhor wickedness. Now let's look at the result. The third point is the result. So what is our reward for abhorring sin and departing from evil? Do we get anything out of this? Well, Proverbs eleven eighteen: the wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. Proverbs 21, 21, he that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Those are just four verses. But it is evident from these verses that we just read that God rewards those who live righteous lives. Who live like his son, Jesus Christ, who conform to his image. You know, in a lot of teenagers... It's become a big thing. A lot of teenagers are more depressed nowadays. They're just living in depression. And it's very sad to see uh, grade 8, 
grade nine. So those are about 13, 14 years old. And they're locked in their room. They lock themselves in their room and they, 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 are, they, they say they're depressed. And they joke about taking their own life. And it's not, taking your own life is never a joke. But 13, 14 years old nowadays are, are so depressed. And why is that? It's because God withholds his blessings from those who are living immorally. And our world today is more immoral than ever. Sin and wicked living is introduced to children as early as like sixth grade nowadays, fifth grade. People are smoking drugs, people are smoking weed at, the, at elementary school. People are drinking alcohol before they even reach high school. People are, are involved in gross immorality. And that's why there is so much depression in our world today. It is a, a result of sin. But the moment we as God's people get right with the Lord and confess all of our sins and iniquities, God will again start heaping upon us his wonderful blessings. Blessings such as peace that will never be troubled. We live in a a tumultuous time and most people don't have peace. But we as God's children, when we live righteously, even though it's so difficult in this world, God will give us peace. He will give us joy that cannot be extinguished. The whole world can go in flames, but for some reason in our heart, God is still giving us this joy that just does not get put out. He will give us opportunities that were once not open to us. God heaps his blessings upon those who live righteous lives. Hating and abhorring sin might seem impossible. It might seem like an unattainable task because there's so much sin in the world. But Philippians 4.13, it can be done through Christ. Now, as a way of conclusion, John Henry Jowett, he was a famous British Protestant preacher, said, Sin is a blasting presence, and every fine power shrinks and withers in the destructive heat. Every spiritual delicacy succumbs to its malignant touch. Sin impairs the sight and works toward blindness. Sin benumbs the hearing and tends to make men deaf. Sin perverts the taste, causing men to confound the sweet with the bitter and the bitter with the sweet. Sin hardens the touch and eventually renders a man past feeling. All these are scriptural scriptural analogies and their common significance appears to be this. Sin blocks and chokes the fine senses of the spirit. By sin, we are desensitized, rendered imperceptive, and the range of our correspondence is diminished. Sin creates callosity. Many Christians, unfortunately, have such calloused hearts that don't even know that they are living wicked lives anymore because their hearts are so broken and affected by the vile touches of sin. Sin is only appealing for a season, but it will rear its ugly head soon enough. Soon enough, you can keep pleasing yourself but soon enough, that ugly head will rear itself. And if not forsaken, you will feel its destructive effects on your life. I know of a, lo- a long time ago, maybe 2017, when I was still in teen class with Pastor Tim. He had like a, a series in teen class where he was just telling like these stories, these illustrations that have like this uh, a practical application in the end. And I don't remember the whole story. But it was a story of two robbers. They robbed the bank and et cetera, et cetera. They, they got away from the bank. But when they're in their escape, they, like, they ran, uh, they rode over through a cliff. And they were basically dangling over the cliff. And one of the robbers 
um, got out. It was, a tumult, it was a long process, but he finally got out. The other, remaining, the other robber was still remaining there. But he did not want to escape because he was clutching onto the, 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 the goods, the riches, the luggage with all the money. He was clutching onto that for dear life. He did not want to lose it. And his robber friend said, you got to either let go of the money or you lose your life. Let go of that luggage and give me your hand so you can save your life. But what did the robber do? He clutched onto that luggage of money as long as he could and he carried it to his death. And that's exactly what many Christians are guilty of. We are clutching onto that one sin that we can't get over. Whatever it may be, we just keep clutching our, our, our grip on it and we never let go of it. And oftentimes it will lead to our destruction. So that is why it is imperative that we immediately change and start viewing sin how God sees it. An abomination and something to abhor. And unless you have the fear of the Lord in your life, you will never get to the point that you can truly say that you hate sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your, for your word, for your, your scriptures. And I pray, Lord, uh, that you would have spoken to my heart and spoken to the hearts of the people, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would help us and enable us to really, truly hate sin, to abhor it, to look at it as an abomination rather than something trivial. I pray, Lord, that you would always help us desire to know you more and to have a better relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with the chapel service, that you would bless everything else and bless the rest of the day as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.